0: The Nick Abbott Habit. There was a terrorist attack since we last spoke and it looks like we got off lightly. It always amazes me these sort of things don't happen all the time. Maybe those stories about the security services thwarting attacks on a daily basis and killing jihadists in Syria so they don't kill us over here are true. I always thought that was just a load of old flannel to justify an increase in their budgets. Oh, and by the way, there's only two acceptable uses of the word thwart and that was one of them. You can use it if you fly into a demented rage any time anyone says anything negative might come from us leaving the EU. You can say that those people are trying to thwart Brexit, or you can use it, as I just did, if a terrorist outrage has been prevented by some means. And the means by which this attack was thwarted were less to do with the security services saving us and more to do with the attackers being total swivel-eyed mung-brain nuts. and that is the official position of this podcast. And as usual when there's a terrorist attack, politicians form a disorderly queue to go on television to tell us to remain calm. There can't be much more alarming a sight than people with looks of grave concern telling us that there is nothing to worry about. The London Mayor Sadiq Khan said that we have got to remain calm. Boris Johnson, the Foreign Secretary, said that Londoners should keep calm and go about their normal lives. Prime Minister Theresa May said that we should remain strong and stable. No, she didn't. I made that up. The PM actually said that the threat level would not change in reaction to the attack in Parsons Green of that she was absolutely certain. She said that just moments before the threat level was raised to its most alarming category. It went from, oh no, to panic! Presumably she was distracted by having to criticise President Donald Trump for his tweets about the incident, while taking care to appear as though she was not criticising him so as not to make him grumpy and sad. What she meant to say about the attack was, keep calm and carry on. Well, here's the news, Mrs M, we don't need to be told that. We've got keep calm and carry on coffee mugs and T-shirts to remind us of that. Keeping calm and carrying on is what defines us as British people. Stiff up a lip, don't make a fuss and all that. It is as meaningless a thing to say as all of our thoughts and prayers are with the victims. No, they aren't. Which politician that has ever said that actually kneels down with their palms pressed together and beseeches God to take care of the various strangers they've never met? It's one of those nonsense things that people in the public eye mutter because they think it's expected of them, and they can't think of anything else to say. Gordon Brown said it when Michael Jackson died. My guess is that he'd never heard of Michael Jackson, but when a reporter quizzed him about it, Gordon Brown said that his thoughts and prayers were with the family. You know, like he was worried about how Tito was doing. Another thing that politicians always say in moments like this is that we should get on with our lives, otherwise the terrorists will have won. Well, what else are we going to do? Abandon everyone we know and live in a yurt up a damp hill in Wales? Are they worried that we might give up our jobs to stay indoors all day where it's safe? A thousand people die every year falling down their own stairs. We'd be safer out in the streets of Baghdad. We've no option but to carry on unless we're so rich that money means nothing to us. If we gave up our lives, how would we pay for our frothy coffee fix and our Sky TV? We're stuck travelling the tube and the bus and congregating where other people are, whether we like it or not. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't be able to afford the roof over our heads. And we wouldn't be able to go to the football, or the theatre, or the shops... Keeping calm and carrying on is our default position. It would be even if we had to get to work by picking our way over the smouldering ruins of a North Korean missile attack, which seems more and more likely with every every passing day because Lil Fat Kim and Ancient Orange are locked in a battle to see who's the toughest in the infants. At moments like this, politicians feel the need to rush to the nearest camera to assure us that they are in charge and if we put our faith in them, we have nothing to worry about. Unfortunately, the government's reaction often looks like they are trying to prevent the attack that just happened. You know, since the shoe bomber, we all have to take our footwear off to board a plane. Since the bridge attacks in London, they've erected bollards to stop vehicles mounting the pavement on bridges. All this means is that the would-be attacker uses exploding underwear or drives over the bridge to mount the pavement on the other side. The PM announced that extra armed police and army personnel would be patrolling the streets last weekend. But as we have one of the only police forces in the world that are not routinely armed, come Monday, we returned to being protected by coppers with whistles. Or more accurately, no coppers at all. Apparently, police and MI5 are running 500 investigations involving 3,000 individuals at any one time, while also keeping tabs on 20,000 former subjects of interest, all while operating on a budget that's had more cuts than a butcher's window which probably goes some way to explaining why the police won't come to your house if you're being burgled, even when you have the assailants on video and their licence plate number and their passports and a signed confession. The press won't be interested in covering your break-in, so the politicians won't be interested in addressing it on TV. You'll just have to decide to keep calm and carry on all by yourself. And after a few days, the threat level was raised to a level so high that they didn't have words to describe it, so they just released a picture of Edvard Munch's The Scream, and nothing happened. So they put the threat level down again. You know, I might be wrong about this, but I don't recall any terror attack happening after they raised the threat level. They always raise it after an attack, which means that the threat level is meaningless. At the moment, it's severe. ...on the list of top five reasons to quietly freak out in an orderly fashion. There's low, which means that an attack is unlikely... ...so it's equally unlikely that we will ever be at this level. And then there's moderate, which means an attack is possible, but not likely... ...which is totally meaningless. An attack is always possible... ...unless you're living in a diving bell at the bottom of an ocean... ...where you will feel totally safe from terrorists... But that seems an extreme course to take for self-preservation. And the Wi-Fi would be terrible down there. The threat level substantial means an attack is a strong possibility. And I think we will be living at this level for the rest of our lives unless the entire human race takes a chill pill, which is probably against the religious rules that the average terrorist nutjob obeys. Severe means an attack is highly likely. Do you get the difference between a strong possibility and highly likely? No, me neither. What's the difference between an attack being a strong possibility and being highly likely? They're the same. But there's a difference between them and the highest level, which is critical. And that means an attack is expected imminently. Except it doesn't. As far as I can recall, we've only been at critical after an attack has taken place. The threat levels are moved in response to what's just happened. They're as useless as predicting the future as yesterday's paper – If it wasn't so serious, I'd think they were just screwing with us. But I expect it's more to do with managing the fallout from them not having raised the level before an incident takes place. You know, so that we don't question their competence. Of course, most of the time, our politicians aren't actually there for us to wonder whether they're doing a good job or not. Because no sooner are they back from a gruelling seven-week summer holiday than they have to endure another five weeks off from work. It's amazing. The summer recess started on the 20th of July. That was a Thursday, so let's assume that they did little, if anything at all, from Monday to Wednesday, just as we did little learning on the last few days of a school term. I went to school in Edinburgh, so I used to spend the last week of term before the summer holidays staring out of the window in lessons like double history, wondering if it would stop snowing before August. So if Parliament's last day of term is a Wednesday, the holidays really started for them on the previous Friday, which was July the 14th and the house returned on September the 5th. That makes it seven weeks and a day for them to lounge about, trying to come up with some old flannel about how it wasn't really a holiday at all, and they were actually working hard for their constituents. And if you believe that, I have a slightly damaged holiday home in the Bahamas I'd like to sell you. So they came back on September the 5th, but oddly September the 5th is a Tuesday, which means that they didn't really get back to doing anything till Wednesday. And honestly, why bother to come back early for a short week? So they were really back at it the following Monday. That gave them a full three days at the office before the commencement of their next holiday, which they call Conference. And that's what we're in right now. Conference recess runs from the 14th of September for over three weeks, during which time the main parties have their away days. The Liberal Democrats have just had their Beano in Bournemouth which might be the most boring thing to happen inside the Bournemouth Conference Centre since, well, the last thing that happened in the Bournemouth Conference Centre. In fact, I bet nothing exciting has ever happened in anywhere called a conference centre. Of course, all the attendees of the party's conflads will be forced to rough it in five-star hotels and live with the very real possibility that their minibar might run out. Don't be fooled by the dullness of what goes on on stage. Conference season involves much drunken debauchery and the sight of elderly men trying to avail themselves of the delights of their carefully selected youthful assistants. You know, they say that politics is show business for ugly people, and that may be true, but a brief tour of the Palace of Westminster a few years ago impressed upon me that the politicians' young staff seem to be unusually gifted in the looks department. Curious, that... And they'll come into their own while staying away with their masters at their various conferences. I'm not suggesting any impropriety. Goodness me, no. Whatever gave you that idea? I'm sure the uns are all highly qualified. Or willing to occupy a connecting room. Holy smoke, this country is going through probably the most testing time since the Second World War. And our elected representatives are enjoying more breaks from activity than a nursery school toddler. I'm surprised they don't ask for a glass of warm milk and an afternoon nap. We have it constantly impressed upon us that this is a time of great uncertainty. What with Brexit and ISIS and the threats coming from North Korea, but our lawmakers are always out to lunch. Judith Chalmers never took so many holidays. The Liberal Democrat conference was in Bournemouth. This is followed by Labour's Jolly in Brighton. And lastly, the Tories go mad in Manchester. This last one starts on the 1st of October, a full two weeks after the parliamentary recess begins. What will they be doing? during those two weeks off before they meet up, apart from jockeying for position to see who can stab Theresa May in the back next. And as they're the party that's supposed to be running the country at the moment, would it be too much to ask that they forego the extra break and get on with their jobs in the meantime? It's not as though they don't have anything pressing to do. The Brexit negotiations need constant fine-tuning and a delicate diplomatic touch. ISIS require the close attention of the Prime Minister and her security personnel, and that Kim Jong-un isn't going to topple himself. He's a human weeble. He may wobble, but he won't fall down. Still, the problems of the nation will have their complete focus when Parliament returns on the 9th October for a whole month, after which there's just one more short week of holiday left for them to take before they swan off for another three weeks over Christmas. And to think... They charge us only £76,000 a year for their service. Imagine what they would cost if they were full-time. We should count ourselves lucky. There was some talk of their pay going up to 100000 a year, cos, you know, they're worth it. But they checked and decided that they couldn't risk the fallout from everyone's heads exploding, so they kept it at only seventy-six grand for the time being. All the better to spend some money on something better, like protecting the country, you might think, and you'd be wrong, because our military services are more starved than a Hollywood actress. Oh, they've got boats, all right. Don't you worry. It's just that they can't float at the moment, that's all. Apparently, Her Majesty's Royal Navy can only send a quarter of its warships out to sea because of chronic lack of money. That's actually true. I'm not making that up. A senior military source said so. He, I'll assume it's a he, also said that the Navy had been turned into an international laughingstock. Perhaps that's our plan for when Russian leader Vlad the Insaner attacks. Amuse him to death. We've got 19 frigates. Those are the ones that sailors frig in the rigging of. And 13 of them can't go to sea because the Navy doesn't have enough on its credit card to fill them up with petrol. And even if they did, they don't have enough men to drive them. And even if they did, they don't have enough food to feed them. Is that embarrassing or what? Don't tell any of our enemies about this, though, because it would be an excellent time to mount an attack. We just tried to stage a very late rescue mission to the islands of the Caribbean that are British dependencies, the ones that are actually just post office boxes for international businesses and conmen to use as a pretend base so they don't have to pay any tax. There's trillions of pounds of wealth squirrelled away there in anonymous buildings that are occupied by a security guard and no one else. They're tax havens that are built on a mountain of money, none of which helps the poor people that actually live there. Because none of that money is being spent. It just sits in numbered accounts, doing nothing but evading the taxman. You know, if money went off, you'd be able to smell it from here. Anyway, Britain's response to the damage that Hurricane Irma did to the tin shacks and wooden huts of the people living on those British dependencies was to send out the pride of the fleet HMS Ocean. Doesn't that sound magnificent? That really is a fantastic name for a boat. Unfortunately, it's the only fantastic thing about it. It broke down the moment it hit the water and had to be taken back to the garage. It was up on a ramp for a week with a man underneath sucking his teeth saying it's going to cost us. You know, the government rakes in two billion pounds a day in tax. Two billion pounds a day. What do they do with it? We have a health service that struggles to cope with British patients and a police service that struggles to solve crimes committed against British people and a school system that struggles to teach British children and an energy sector that struggles to keep the British lights on. But at least we're spending an infinite amount of billions that we don't have maintaining a nuclear arsenal that we will never use. The whole world's gone crazy. But at least it won't be around for too much longer. In fact, if you are listening to this on the day it comes out, you have one day before the end of the world. We know this because it was written down in a book more than 2,000 years ago, so it must be true. September the 23rd is the day of rapture. And rapture is defined in two ways. First, as a feeling of intense pleasure, which the lucky ones will be having as they experience the second definition, which is to be transported to heaven at the second coming of Christ. Please touch in with your travel card when boarding the bus to the stars. Penalty for not doing so will be going to a place that's hot as hell. Hell. This is all about a work of fiction called the Bible. That's not a controversial thing to say, is it? This rapture is set out in the book of Revelation and will apparently see worthy Christians lifted into heaven by Jesus, while everyone remaining will have a ringside seat to witness the end of the world. Because that's what God would do condemn everyone on Earth to death because they chose the wrong religion. Or no religion. And what about the poor bunny rabbits and the puppy dogs? They get to die too, don't forget, and all they've done is shag and poop their whole lives. Which sounds like a pretty blameless existence to me. Religious theorists think an astronomical alignment involving the constellations Leo and Virgo, along with their various other planets, will fulfil this prophecy. And if you believe that, you have your head aligned with Uranus. But it's right there in black and white. The second coming of Christ is prophesied in the book of John, where those who have lived sin-free lives get to meet the Lord, which would be a queue of none. More people will be queuing for a £1,000 iPhone that will be joining the line for those who have lived without sin. I won't be joining that queue because I am guilty of coveting my neighbour's ox, but I don't care. That ox was the best... F- I ever had. That's it. I will return on LBC on Fridays and Saturdays at 10pm and back here in two weeks on October the 6th. My books are on the Kindle site on Amazon, the latest of which is available in ebook and tree-killing paperback, and has a picture of me in great danger from a sea monster with huge teeth on the front. Until we meet again, I appreciate your attention. A Big Things Media Production. (laughs) Big Things!